This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. How long gone? A nice crispy early morning podcast in LA. I love I love when we pod with Europe, Jason, because it, it forces us to do things a little earlier. I feel like it, it's better for you with your editing and your workout schedule. Is that fair to say or, or no? No, it's not. Okay. Uh, how are you? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I had a nice uh, dinner last night. A friend of the show, Aaron Garcia and, uh, and his wife, Sachiko. Invited over to their house for a, a shabu shabu dinner. Oh wow! I felt like I was in a serene kind of Japanese <laughs> village. There's incense and you know soothing kind of Eastern jazz playing, and had some tamago and some mushrooms and some lovely broth and dashi and oh, not broth! Wow, couple Sapporos. Uh, you know, there's some mochi in the broth. It was I. It, you know, having having like a big hot pot kind of meal where everyone is gathered around the table and everyone's dipping veggies and meats and thingies into it and sharing some convos. It's it's such a it's like the best way to, to eat I, right there. Hold on. Let me ask a question. I listened to a lot of those words and I recognize most of them. Um and mm-hmm. I, I don't often think of mochi as something that could be placed in a in a piping hot broth. Please, am I? Am I? Girl, in- I thought the same thing. Okay, so okay, okay. It's, it's it, the mochi. It kind of looks like the size of you know. It's like maybe like a little bit bigger than a quarter, and maybe like quarter of an inch thick. Okay, it just kind of looks like a large like gummy gummy treat. It, it has that standard mochi kind of chewy consistency, but then when it simmers in the broth for maybe ten minutes or so. It gets this really interesting kind of gooey texture Ooh. where it's still chewy, but it's also soft. It's like it's like I hate to say it, but it's like an al dente mochi, <laughs> <laughs> where it's like this perfect consistency in texture and mouthfeel. Where you're like, I mean, I don't even care about mochi that much, but when it's done really well, you're like, damn, I got to give it up, mochi. Okay, so you you had to give it up to mochi. Uh, <laughs> We gave Mochi an eight-minute standing ovation and last night. To be clear, Mochi is not a god that I had to give it up to or anything usually like that. When I'm talk, well, usually Praise when I'm mochi. talking about Mochi with you, it's you referencing a fictional small dog. Um, so <laughs> it's, nice to, it's nice to hear you talk about the real thing for once. I know. Every, it, and I see it all the time you know, on Instagram or something like that, and somebody shouts out, yeah, we had to put Mochi down. I'm like, damn, there's still dogs named Mochi out there. Even after all my tireless work of, of shaming people for naming their dogs after whatever the cutest uh, food item at that moment, it happens to be at the point at the point of rescue or purchase. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think it's a smart... I rescued this dog from a poor person. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't at a shelter. It was at a poor guy's house. I just kind of went in and took it. And it was... <laughs> I had to give give they a high-end name. Um, <laughs> you know that was the best thing to do. But yeah, that's that's I'm I'm riding high off of that. Well, that sounds great. That sounds great. I, I feel like you're probably still warm and fuzzy on the inside. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's we it's a weird sensation for me to feel full 
like very full and satisfied after basically just eating like small bits of boiled meat. You know what I mean? There's sure, like it wasn't sure, like sure. a there was nothing really filling going on. I didn't have like bowls of rice and all this. You know, there's no Japanese yeah, there, sweet okay, potato. There wasn't, it was mostly okay. just just veggies and, you know, and boiled I, meat. I often enjoy a Japanese sweet potato at the local Air One Market, so I kind of understand what, what you're talking mm, about. How, I might see you there for lunch. One of the best starches in the game. Um, <laughs> because of <laughs> if our... If you have to starch. If you have to starch. Uh, I got up early today and did something I haven't done in a while and hit the local natural Pilates Um for a little for a little 7 a.m session what what is what does natural pilates mean that's just the brand name that's just the brand okay of the, okay of the studio. but you're still reforma yeah yeah you sound reforma okay uh yeah it's it's the same it's the same um pilates you know and love okay um but, with a name like that i'm like are you guys using trees instead of reformers like yeah, how natty yeah. are we getting the springs are the springs are actually just twigs and it's a it's a weird thing <laughs> um no no it was but I feel I feel good, man. I haven't done that in a while. I'm feeling long. I'm feeling lean. Mm -hmm. We opened with it. We opened with a 12 minute ab portion that brought me to my knees, figuratively and literally. Um, so you hit Pilates, long and lean, mm -hmm. pussy pink, yeah, booty hole brown. Exactly. Feeling good. <laughs> exactly. I feel great. I got my gallon right here. I'm saddled up at the table. Um, I had I stayed out a little later last night with friend of the show Scott Sternberg. We had a nice little catch up at. Uh, at dinner just the two of you yeah just the two of us yeah when you guys dine together just the two of you does he try to get you to come out of the closet less or more than when it's in a group setting actually with him he's usually shipping you and i um so it's a little <laughs> less it's a little <laughs> you are it's not allowed less. to say that <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying what happens. He, you know, I was like, uh -huh. I was like, oh yeah, we're doing the Carlisle. He's like, oh, that's good. Are you guys gonna kiss, or is it gonna <laughs> just be just the regular show? I'm like, Scott, can we focus, please? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to talk to you, you know. But he had been at at Pitti Womo, which he hadn't been no in kiss. years, and he had been in okay. Paris. So we had we had a lot to catch up on. Um, checking out but, all the uh, hot fashion trends going on. Checking out all the hot hot fashion trends. One of my favorite guys to catch up with, um, and uh, it was good yeah, to see. We him. love Scott. We love Scott. Uh, American made. American built Ford tough. He is. Yeah, he's yeah. That's how I describe Scott is built Ford tough. Um, <laughs> but I, I just feel like I've been so busy on this stay in L.A. I just been going a mile a minute. I've, I've overbooked myself as always. Yeah, you did. Your card was a little too full, but I get it. You know, you're you're in town for a, a certain amount of time. You have so many besties that you need to check in with, and exactly. And there's a lot of shipping to be done while you're out here. There's a lot of hot spots. There's matchas to be had. There's anchovies to be eaten. That's no, that's <laughs> true. That's true. I, I actually, you know, as someone who despises matcha, I was over. I had a meeting yesterday over in the um, Melrose. You know, like where, where Acne and Palace and Byredo are, and that little section. The Melrose Place adjacent. It's Melrose Place adjacent. It's after La Cienega. I don't know how it qualifies. I don't know if if Pentagram has been hired to rebrand this this block of shops yet. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure it's happening. Pentagram couldn't get the cookies account. <laughs> Got him. Um, but but uh, I, I was I went to Verve Coffee after my meeting because it's like right there, and I was kind of it was refreshing to see an L.A. coffee shop full, like packed, mm -hmm. all the usual bozo suspects in the building, and not a, I didn't see anyone, the six people in front of me all ordered coffee, like real, oh, shit. like real men and women should, and I'm hoping, 
I'm, I'm hoping that this this is trending that way. I, I wonder when are people going to realize that matcha is is dirt with oat milk? Like I don't know when that's gonna. Like I don't. Do you actually like the way it tastes? To me, matcha is like it's like paella in terms of unless okay. it's perfect. Okay, I don't want it. Like it's one of those things where okay, anything but perfection anything but 10 out of 10 flawless is not worth it for me and i feel that way about sea urchin paella as well as matcha okay <laughs> okay 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 so if the matcha is not ceremonial possibly possibly yeah. caught fresh that day you're not you're not gonna mix it with your own yeah and that's what i and i love foods like that where daytime to learn lifetime to master anyone could do it but nobody can do it yes perfectly and then you you chase that dragon so i've had really really amazing matcha but you know that's that's one two percent of total matcha consumed in in my belly i feel like i went through a, a slight matcha phase because i wanted to like it and i because i don't drink it was a no, it was a novel item over at maru where we got introduced to it that they they do it quite well yeah i just i don't know i i just find it like i think because i know that it's like a it's like an iced latte you're drinking a cup of milk with a splash yeah. of caffeine yeah and i think that's what there is that actually throws me off it's not i don't i don't know that's what bothers me and then and then to make it taste good you got to have the sweetener yeah like that thing they have at commute the, the rockies thing at community goods where it's the mix of espresso the, that shit is banging yeah that shit is banging, but it's got it's got sweetener. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just I try to I tr I try to avoid that, but it was just crazy. I don't think I've been in a coffee shop in L.A. where every other person uh, with a small shirt and big pants doesn't order. Uh, so a, a matcha. it's, it's a, the, the pendulum has swung and now we have begun our coffee maxing era where we're <laughs> having so much black coffee and it's just plain and I actually like it that way more. I like it that way more too. My, my pee is yellow, but other than that, it's, it's a fine, it's a fine thing to deal pee with. Pee yellow, pussy pink, pee booty on, hole brown. <laughs> pee on yellow. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was refreshing. It was refreshing to see. Um, and I, I was, I was just surprised, but I guess I'm going to, I guess the places I'm going to the small shirt, big pants, you know, sector, uh, they be drinking matcha. They be sipping hard. Yeah. So it's my, actually fault. I have a, I have a coffee anecdote. The good people over at, um, blue bottle who we've bullied into them sending me product, they sent over. They, they have like an instant espresso. Oh, yeah, right. It's just it's just kind of like um, you know like instant coffee that we would have as a kid, whatever Folgers, Crystals type of shit, just like freeze dried, dehydrated coffee. But um, but wifey started making it, and she's like hooked on it now because it it's so crazy. Because I'm doing my fruity little pour overs, and it's taking fucking eleven minutes, and I have a timer <laughs> out, and I'm weighing. I don't do that stuff, but you know what I mean, like. Oh, I ha as soon as my sure my the usual pr my Swedish process. kettle comes to two hundred and four degrees, I'll begin my <laughs> steeping process and setting. And she like literally just like pours water in, pours the crystals in, and she's she's sipping on the go, and she's done in like five seconds. I mean, that is that is. And cool. now I'm starting to be like, damn, I, maybe I am playing myself. Yeah, but the the pour over process for you, Jason, I know is more about centering than it is the the being, you know, it's it's about okay. it's about the process. It's And it's, now I feel seen. It's yeah, it's it's like when you put the the product on the spoon and you light the flame underneath it and you watch it start bubbling, you know. It's that's oh. that's, that's how I know you've been in the agency game too long <laughs> when you call fucking drugs product. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> when you actually <laughs> speaking speaking of that I, I i had an update um from from how to dress well tom carl's baby shower where i was going i was talking earlier last week about going off registry yeah the, the risks and the rewards of going so i just you, wanted to update our listeners you got tom a couple stamp bags and he was happy or what What did we how far <laughs> off did we go no you and i were you and i went there we we went to uh, oh i forgot i'm sorry yes of course we saw our homie over it over at the patagonia oh, store our, our friend ryan oh, at the patagonia store shout out to ryan his last name is nay but i'm gonna is n-e-y is it nay Yes, nay. That's crazy nay. to have. A, I, you know, people think I'm negative. This motherfucker has a last name that means no. That's um, rough. No, you would like that actually. But uh, went there. I would. Patagonia has. I oftentimes they have very cute baby clothes, and I got this baby pink puffer puffer jacket for his daughter. And boom. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. I, I felt like that was a low risk off registry gift because it's it's more. But I, I see what you mean. It's not because it's off registry. It's also not just like useful. It's not like a formula holder. It's like an actual, you know, just fun <laughs> thing to wear and stunt in. It's a nice thing to have when you when you need to flex on these other losers at the Highland Park playground. <laughs> you know what the fuck it. You know what fucking time it is. You know what? I'm gonna flex on these hoes at Kumquat. <laughs> <laughs> broke ass baby uh, broke baby um, also um friend of the show austin brown from parquet courts he was talking do we talk about this on the pod about he he said that he started listening to the pod doing some uh, road trips and he thought that i was you and you was i in terms of putting <laughs> he thought that your voice was coming out of my body and my voice was coming out of your body yeah now, of course yeah that's interesting and i don't think i've ever heard that commentary from anyone that which and it's it, honestly i'm 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 flabbergasted and shell-shocked um, i feel hoodwinked because in i don't see any scenario where anyone would put that together in their brain and i know austin's listening to this right now you know driving through america's heartland having a chuckle to himself but yeah who knows that is that's a funny i i've heard so much shit about ourselves but that is one i've never heard um i know but that right is, i mean look Every day we we live to fight another battle, and and, and thank thank God that 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 we are here. Mm. Uh, we have a guest today, uh, Simone Depuri. Uh, he's known as the Mick Jagger of uh, art auctions, um, a legend in the game. Uh, he he wrote a book um, a few years ago. Uh, he's he's a DJ, which I cannot wait to get into. He's been in the game for fifty years. Um, he you know he sold Picasso's masterpiece, The Absinthe Drink, over twenty nine million at Sotheby's in ninety five. Mm. There's an hour long BBC segment, The Man with the Gold Gavel, um, <laughs> and he was in he was in my favorite show, Emily in Paris, which is something that I'm kind of waiting to get the call on, but haven't haven't heard yet from the team mm -hmm. over there. Um, but let's uh, let's cross the pond. I believe I believe Simone is in in his beautiful Mayfair townhouse. Let's hope. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll get into it with him. Okay, let's give him a ring. Hey, Jason, we all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on. You're eating at restaurants you don't want to eat at all the time to appease myself and others. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to your health, health, there's no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who used your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines, their family group chat, their crossword puzzles, just because they're available right now or because they take your slightly sketchy insurance. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. 
and you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors very close to you and instantly book appointments with them online. Just like when I'm looking for new shoes on my sites, you can filter specifically, see which doctors take your insurance, located near you, maybe find a doctor that's far away from you for personal reasons you don't want to disclose. I use ZocDoc, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com slash howlong and download ZocDoc for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash howlong. ZocDoc.com slash howlong. How Long Gone is brought to you by Nutrafol. As you know, you know, hair thinning is quite complicated. Like your skin, hair is a reflection of your health. Uh-oh. And internal factors can impact the way your hair looks, feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long. All right. So you're coming to us from London. I want to say... Um, you're the best dressed guest we've had so far. And I apologize for Jason and I kind of looking like slugs here, but we're in LA where this is acceptable dress, just to be clear. Yes, yes. No, listen, I, I wear, wear my uniform. Some people think that I'm wearing the same suit since 50 years. And uh, <laughs> at the time when I started wearing these kind of suits, I was blending in beautifully. Now I'm the only one who wears a tie. I mean, so it it looks very kind of shocking to be as properly dressed. Does that make you sad for the future and current generation of people <laughs> wearing clothes? Not at all. I think everything is constantly evolving and moving on and changing. And uh, I love the constant change that we go through. Otherwise, things would be so boring. But in an ever-changing world, I think it's nice to have some things that uh, never change. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. No, I understand. I, I like it. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I try to wear a tie if I'm doing something that feels like it. It. It deserves it, kind of. But I would like to get into the everyday mode. But I just think that I don't think I'm doing the kind of shit that you're doing. You know. So it's like. When I'm at the grocery store, I would look a little out of place is my point, you know? Yes. Well, maybe do you go to the grocery store or does somebody do the shopping for you? Uh, I must admit to my shame that I do go very, very rarely to the grocery store. I do go during the summer vacations when once a year I get together with all my five kids 
and uh, we spend a magic week together and then I go to the grocery store and I do all the things that I don't get much time to do during the year. Oh, okay. So you go, when you're with the kids on holiday, you go into dad mode. You revert back. You're the provider. That's right. Yes, yes, completely. Okay. So you, that sounds like you've got fatherhood figured out well. You only have to hang out with your kids one week per year. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I have got four very old ones and and one very young one. (laughs) Okay. I have one son in New York, one son in Berlin, one daughter in London, one son in Geneva, and the little one in Monaco. So uh, as I travel a lot, I see them a lot, which is great. Okay. But to have them all together is a, is a more rare occurrence. Yes, okay. Where okay. do you guys do this holiday? Same place or, or you switch it up? Same place. It's, it's a farm in Switzerland. Uh, far from the madding cloud with cows and the meadows and all of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Swiss countryside does look pretty picturesque. Have you been going there since you were like a kid or is this something you discovered? Since I was a kid. Okay. No, no, since I was a kid, absolutely. How how are you with how are you with farm animals? I didn't seem like you're kind of, you like to see them from afar, I would, I would guess. I, I love to see them, <laughs> not from too close indeed. Sure, uh, sure. And, but I love the noise because all these cows have cowbells and so at night you you have this lovely beautiful sound of the cowbells in the background you so you're you're every night you're lulled to sleep by the clinging and clanging of cowbells across your swiss field that's exactly that it. sounds nice <laughs> okay so when you when you're at the countryside like british people they go to the countryside they put on their their wellies, their hunter boots, and they have different outfits. You're not wearing your your smart pinstripe tailored shirt and 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 suit. What what are you wearing out there? Yes, so I, I, I don't have t-shirts. I, I I never I think I tried a t-shirt once in my life and it was so No way. You one you've worn a t-shirt one time. What do you wear an undershirt yes. under this fine tailored shirt? When my uh, older children were little, we went to Florida near Orlando to, to a place called Ron John. And uh, we. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And it was actually great. And so we bought t shirts for every child, and including for me. And I wore it that day, but never again. But otherwise, yes, of course, up in the farm, I, I do have jeans and, and, and a shirt and, and, and very informal. Okay. Way, of course. That is, uh, honestly, I've never, I've never respected something more. <laughs> I mean, to say I've worn a t shirt once is that, that you might be the only person on earth. <laughs> And be be begrudgingly wore a t-shirt once because your kids made you and then you wore it one day yeah. and then I assume you went back to your hotel and tried to flush the toilet flush the t-shirt down the toilet or burn it in a Let's fireplace get, we gotta maybe. get rid of this I can't even look at this I can't even look at this yeah I, I would love I would love to see you uh in Orlando Florida though that is a funny as a person who's been there myself I, I don't even feel comfortable there, so I can't imagine you were fitting in. Yeah, you have no business being there, Simon. Well, listen, it was uh, quite some time ago, not to say a very long time ago, but I can <laughs> I can put a precise date on it uh, if you can look it up, because while we were buying those T-shirts at Ron John, they were playing the Macarena on the, on the loudspeaker, <laughs> and that's the first time in my life that I'd heard the Macarena, and it was so catchy. And it was before Shazam, so I thought I have imperatively find to find out who sang that. And then, of course, 
you couldn't escape La Macarena wherever you went. No, no, no. No, that, that was an international smash. But yeah, the pre-Shazam world, it was you'd have to listen to the radio to hear them play it again, you know, an hour later. You you yeah, you you first heard that earworm and you're like, what is this? And then a year later, the Macarena sort of became a COVID situation where you can't escape it and it was, it's, it's hurting and tearing families apart. But you, that's a good segue into your DJ career because you do have an ear for music. I also come from a DJ background. Chris is a music lover, but he doesn't know how to play it live in front of a crowd. It's more of a da dance floor. <laughs> we, we fill the dance floors and he kind of yeah. empties them. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. when did you first start? Start DJing. Well, very late in my life. I mean, I always loved music. I was obsessed with music. And I was the youngest of four kids. And my two older brothers were very talented musically. So they never had any uh, music lessons. And my older brother played beautifully piano. My second brother played beautifully piano and trumpet. So my parents thought with the last son, we'll do it even better. We'll get him to have piano lessons. And then my piano teacher kept hitting me over my fingers, which disgusted me from playing an instrument. But anyway, then in my way into my 60s, I decided I wanted to become a DJ. And so I did my first DJ in Berlin, my first DJ gig, and my four adult children were so embarrassed and said, oh my God, our father has an acute late life crisis. And, um, and while I was DJing the first time there, I saw that my four older kids were dancing away frenetically. And I thought, well, maybe they're not embarrassed enough not to dance. Meanwhile, they find it cool. Okay. Yeah. So you convinced them over the course of your DJ set, I don't know where in Berlin, Bergheim's, wherever, I don't know. Main, it doesn't have to be the main room, but not in the dungeon. But at, the, at first, their arms folded. <laughs> Oh, our dad is a fucking shit DJ. This sucks. And then by the end of the set, the shirts are off. They're raving. They're misbehaving. They're loving it. What 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 kind of music were you playing? Was it techno? Uh, it was a, a mix. I mean, first I always play some very current music, uh, uh, electronic music, uh, to try and get a little bit of credibility. And then I <laughs> go back into various decades. I mean, I was a teenager in the sixties, so I. I, I, I mixed music from the 60s right up to the current day and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and try anything that keeps people on the dance floor is, is the main uh, thing. And that's what is so in common with auctioneering, because you instantly see if you're doing well or not. Mm. I mean, if you're doing poorly, people leave the dance floor and you've, mm. there's something you've got to do about it. And same thing, if, if nobody's bidding while you conduct an auction, then you know that you're doing yeah. something wrong. We got, we got a problem. We got a problem. And, and yeah, I, I, I feel like the auctioneering is a little more high stakes, but DJing is important. No. I don't want to take I don't want to take away from that. I don't want to take away from that. But did you now did you practice at home? Did you have turntables at the house and you like figured it out or did you did you just do it live? And, and Or did you have an assistant do it for you? <laughs> have some help. I, I pretended to be a DJ, and of course, I could never have done it with vinyls because it would have been far too tricky and complicated to learn it. So I, I, I did it with an app, uh, which is basically cheating. But but anyway, mm. you you can come across as doing it reasonably competently, <laughs> and then um, you know I, I you you learn everything by doing. At the end of the day, I, I, I agree with mm -hmm. that. I agree with yeah. that, and I I can't wait to catch one of your sets. I would love to see you and Jason go back to back, you know, track for track. That's that's. I'll, I'll show you a thing or two, fella. 
<laughs> so what? So in terms of contemporary music, electronic, do you have an example of something that we're listening to? Like with a little Dua Lipa, what's going on? I, I do like Dua Lipa. I, I, I do like, you know, I, I, my musical tastes are very wide. I mean, I love current uh, pop music, you know, the music that is in the top of the charts, but then I love li- uh, hip-hop, uh, adore hip-hop, I like electro, I like uh, wow. movie soundtracks, jazz. I mean, it's really like all over the place. And, and mm-hmm. then I every week I listen to new music that, that is coming out. And I've done so for 50 years. So it, it's kind of yeah. I, the minute I shave in the morning, I listen to music, uh, listen to music all day long. I mean, and we can't live without music. Uh, it's, it, okay. You're an inspiration. First of all, you shave every day and you listen to all the new music. I mean, that's that's two <laughs> things I strive to do as well. Uh, I fail at one. I do pretty okay at the other. Here, Yeah, here in America, we grow out our beards and listen to podcasts all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little depressing when you think about it. But you're Simo, right. you you don't listen to podcasts, do you? No, you just appear on them. I, I must admit that, like t-shirts, uh, maybe I, I don't think I'm, uh, because I have a very very short attention span, and so um, I, I have not listened properly to a proper podcast yet. That's that's cool. Just you don't need to. You're no fine. reason to start. No reason to start. Yeah, you're you got fine. it all figured out. No, no, it's never too late to start. Hopefully, that's yeah. Maybe yeah. Maybe I mean I feel like though you you travel so often. Are you watching movies? Are you working? Are you reading? Like, what are you doing on the plane? Because I have some rules about this. On on, on flights, I love to watch movies, uh, and I uh, love films in general, and and so that's the perfect place. And I love long flights because then you can watch three, four movies uh, during those flights. So you're not you're not you're not paying forty dollars for the Wi-Fi then to to get you're you're gonna zone out and you're gonna watch some movies. You're gonna disconnect. Yeah. Yes, totally. Okay, qu- question question for you, Simon. When was the last time you sat in coach? Great question. <laughs> yes. No, no, listen. Uh, last time was yesterday. I took uh, EasyJet to fly from Nice to uh, London, and uh, uh, it's great because, first of all, it, it costs you far less than the taxi ride from the airport into London. And, <laughs> and, That's a good point. And, that is an expensive taxi ride. That's an expensive taxi yeah. ride. And and it's after all it's a very short flight, so why pay through the nose uh, if you know uh, if if you can get it nearly no that's nearly for nothing. A man of the people. That's common sense, and I I like that because I think you yeah you got to save you got to save the 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 big ones for the the long flight. There's no reason. You're right. It's if it's an hour or less or forty you know whatever two hours. There's no reason to do that. You know, once I took a, a flight and and. I was booked in um, uh, business class, and then one of the, my biggest clients, a mega mega collector, was uh, was in the same flight, and and he was flying completely at the back of the plane in coach. And then he looked at me and said, "You can afford it. I'm a collector. You know, I can't afford flying business class." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I like that. I spend so much. I spend so much money with you. I can't afford to sit in the front of the plane. That's good. Yeah. If I were you, I would have switched with him just to be a gentleman. But you know, we're different. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you moved back to sit with him to do a little business, but I like this. I like this ending. No, I like this. It was full up at the back. <laughs> the back was too full. I didn't want to make anybody move. You know, that when in your job as an auctioneer, how how important is it to really know the artwork that you're selling, or can you just kind of 
look behind you like oh there's a painting i'll sell this shit no problem or do you have to really study and know it and does that help you make more money on the auction i i think that as an auctioneer uh, of course it helps if you know and, and are inter- intimately involved you know with what you're selling mm-hmm. but if effectively you can sell pretty much anything as an auctioneer because you 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 know have a whole audience that you address simultaneously however i also do private sales private sales means not selling at auction and selling to one individual uh privately and and there i am incapable of selling something that i don't passionately feel about that Mm -hmm. is really of great quality i can't convince uh you of some selling something that uh, say that it's of great quality if I don't myself feel that it's of great quality. Yeah, I I, have, I feel like nowadays if uh, on the on the high dollar, you know, very popular, well known art, a lot of it kind of sells itself, and you already know what you're you're already planning on buying this, and you have a dollar amount in your head of like, all right, I'm going to go up to twelve million on this Monet or whatever. And your job is just to kind of keep it all together. Is that, is that kind of it? On, on, the, on those higher profile ones? Yes, but but even then, let's say that you've set yourself a, a limit of $12 million. I don't know, of course, what your limit is, but uh, ideally, <laughs> sure. once we've reached $12 million, I will be able to make you decide in a split second to go just one yeah. extra bid. And that one extra bid, mm-hmm. maybe $500,000 or $1 million more. So it it makes quite a big difference if I'm able to extract one extra bid from you and if I then get mm-hmm. an extra bid from another person beyond what they had decided in their mind, a good auctioneer can make up to 20, 30 percent. It's very difficult to quantify, but you can. Your mm-hmm. job as an auctioneer is to get the absolute maximum that you can get for a given object at a given moment. Okay. So, is that you're creating an atmosphere that people get? caught up in the moment and and a frenzy a frenzy but it's it's a it's a controlled frenzy i mean it, you do want to create a mood where you feel my god this is so exciting and if yeah. i don't go for it now it's gone forever which is a fact i mean when an object mm-hmm. when yeah. it escapes you it's gone and um, but you know i i attend a lot of auctions also as a buyer where i buy on behalf of clients and if I sit there and I get depressed beyond belief and uh, I think, oh, my God, the, the market is not at all as good as I expected it, I will go be- below what I had set myself as a limit. And so I can see on my own body the <laughs> impact it has if I get, yeah. if I get depressed <laughs> by the general mood. That, that reminds me uh, or yes, that yes. goes into a question. I, I had two questions. Number one, sorry, do you get paid on commission? For well, it, it all depends, you know. When when I, first I worked as an employee at Sotheby's, I was uh, chairman of Sotheby's Europe and chief auctioneer. There, you have mm-hmm. your remuneration is you have a, a fixed salary per year, and then you have a bonus, and the bonus is calculated on how much business you get in, how well you do at mm. at your tasks and your jobs, and then. Of course, if you do particularly well, your bonus can be quite good, Mm -hmm. but it's not directly linked uh, uh, commission-wise. Then, uh, ultimately, then I owned the auction company. Then, of course, you're rewarded (laughs) indirectly (laughs) because you you, you, uh, do well. Your your company does well. Now that I've sold the auction company that I had 10 years ago, and I do a lot of uh, uh, charity auctions as well. So uh, a lot of these I just do for a fixed fee. Mm-hmm. And, and occasionally I do something which is linked to a percentage. I, I let me I would like to ask about the client when you're when you're, you know, at an auction and you're bidding on behalf of a client. 
obviously you have some like long-term relationships. They've, they've told you what they're looking for. You've discussed the, you've discussed the, the, the upper limit that they're willing to spend, but do you, are you're able to make a game time decision if it's like an extra half million and you know, they want it. How, is it just based on comfort level with the client? If you kind of go over what you guys had discussed, do you get a little slap on the wrist or is it like, this is a problem? No, I mean, you you will only, if you go that extra step, it's the feel that you are able to justify that extra step. And the whole okay. relationship okay. is built on trust because mm-hmm. if you give a, yeah. a bad piece of advice, uh, it has short legs and you know that uh, this uh-huh. person will no longer want to deal with yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Of so course. the only thing that matters is a long-term relationship. And I don't believe in something that, you know, you do one big hit or, or, or two yeah. things and that's it. No, it's a relationship business for sure. I just, you know, I think if you're spending a certain amount of money, there's, uh, you know, an extra half million, a million dollars probably isn't that big of a deal to you. You know, it's it's a, it's a decimal point to an extent. Um but I think it's it's interesting to have the level of trust and understand and kind of have to, you know, think that quickly about like, is this actually, you know, I I, I don't know. It's impressive. Obviously, you've done it for so long. You've kind of figured out um, how to do it and how, how the mind works. But I think I would. Well, <laughs> are you able to see the look on someone's face when they've hit their $12 million limit? And then they're like, they have to make that decision of, do I go over? Like, can you tell just by the look on their face and their, their body language? It's very weird. But when I conduct an auction, I'm like, put myself in tune with the audience and you are like mm-hmm. uh, tuning in on the same wavelengths as the main uh, purchasers or bidders, whereas I can sit next to an auctioneer or or observe another auctioneer conducting an auction, and I don't get that feel at all. So it it is really trying to put yourself in the same wavelength as your audience. And then you do feel all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another DJ analogy there, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) I I was about to say, it really really does all go back to the room, as you guys guys know, (laughs) as you professional DJs know. I mean, working at obviously working at Sotheby's for that long, you you learned. I mean, that's arguably the most famous you know auction house in in the world, and you you learned everything. Um, but the the idea to branch out on your own was that a long time coming, or was that something that you kind of one day woke up and decided like I want to do this for myself? No, like all big changes in my life happened always accidentally in a way because. No matter yeah. how much you plan what you would like to do, this and this, in the end, it happens differently. So uh, whenever I started a new occupation, I thought, that's it. I will do that forever. And then, uh, you know, things yeah. Yeah, somehow evolve and they are not forever. But, uh, you know, I, I'm very privileged to have done now for more than 50 years, uh, been active in a field that I love. But I've always approached the field from different angles because I hate routine. And if you get bored by doing something forever and uh so i've, I've had sufficient changes in my life yeah, so yeah. that i never managed to get truly bored that's funny that you say you hate routine because jason and i are big routine guys um and i there's certain things i have to do every day to feel normal basically or to just not crumble as a person <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly to not destroy myself but i i tend to be able to do those when traveling kind of no matter what like i'm a I'm really into exercise, so I figured out a way to do that. I, I like to drink a lot of water. I figure out a way to do that. 
Are you, there's nothing you do every day besides shave or, or do you have some routine? I feel like you, you have like to? a yogurt breakfast routine that you've been doing <laughs> since 78. No, no, my, my problem is with foods that I, I follow the seafood diet, which means that all the foods that I see, I have to eat. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language. The second best way and that's with Babbel. One in five Americans uh, have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Chris and I are going to the country of Georgia in a month or so, and they have a very unique language. And I will be using Babbel to try and just get a little bit of action so I can know how to order my, uh, cold, my cold brew lattes and things like that in a way uh, that's actually science-based don't spend hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Use Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons. They're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new lingo in as little as three weeks. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash how long. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash how long, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash how long rules and restrictions may apply Babel. another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay. So the only way not to eat too much is not to get tempted. So if you go to a big restaurant, I, I have to eat it all. But um, no, I, of course, I do have routines. My, my routines are that in all the cities that I go to, I tend to go to the same restaurant mm -hmm. and ordering exactly the same thing on the menu and, and to try and bring some kind of ordered in a very disordered life. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, so... Uh, this goes back to what we said at the very beginning about dressing. And do you, so you, you, okay. So you have, do you stay at the same hotels too, if you can? Yes, I stay at the same hotels. And then I'm also very superstitious. So I, I'm fascinated by mm. numerology. So I look at the number when I, the number they give me in the hotel. And then I know already, oh my God, this is either going to be amazing or, oh my God, I, I may have two or three rough days ahead of me. Okay. So you're saying you check in. All right. So you, okay. So you, you check, you go to New York, you check into the Carlisle and you're like, all right, they gave me 15 and not 17. You don't <laughs> ask to be moved. You just take what that means and you deal with it. That's that's it exactly. But I I do tend to stay at the same hotels, go to the same places, and there's quite a bit of routine, of course, linked to that. And then I love some places that never change. I mean, there are some either locations or some buildings that simply don't change. There are very few of them, mm -hmm. but I do, of course, going to those because it's like going in a time machine, mm -hmm. and um, there's something fascinating about going back in the time machine. But on the whole, I love the excitement of permanent change. Yeah, I need to, I need to go back to the numerology for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that is so? I mean, like like Chris was saying, you go check into the Carlisle. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm on the 15th floor. The nightmare begins, and and but you but you're saying like, I'm, that's the way the the universe has told me 
my week is going to go, so I have to accept that versus change it. You can't fight City Hall. Is, is, is this something that's been inside of you for your whole life, or did you no, become in more... Days, in the old days, I would have accepted the home that they were giving me, and uh, and now I think that life is too short. <laughs> so if I'm not happy with the home they give me, I will then ask to change uh, the home. And it has only very rarely been the case that they uh, had to change rooms three or four times until they gave me the room that I was happy with. But usually it works. Okay. First time. First time. Okay. Step one. Yeah, in, in, in 80, 90% of cases, it works uh, okay the first time. Do you do you have other superstitions? Like, do you have like little things you do that, that make you feel kind of centered before you work or before, you know, whatever? And also, which, which wife got you into numerology? <laughs> <laughs> neither of my wives I've only got two wives but neither of them got me into numerology but I don't know how it all started but the superstition but I collect superstitions Mm -hmm. the problem is when you collect you you keep adding to it so I I have now more and more superstitions but uh, one link to auctioneering uh, in the 90s I collected an auction in the castle of uh, Princess uh, Tornotaxis Gloria Tornotaxis and Every day on the on my way to the auction room, there were these big bowls with apples. So I was each time taking an apple and eating an apple. And these auctions went phenomenally well. It was a triumph. Mm-hmm. So I thought it had to be because of the apples. And so <laughs> since then, I tried to always eat an apple about one hour before every auction. And I feel that's important to eat an apple. And if the auction doesn't do well, it's, oh, maybe it's because I forgot to eat an apple before. <laughs> I, I think that's a that's a nice innocent superstition. Eat an apple an hour before. It, I mean, because I th- I feel like you can it can go in a dark turn. Like I, you put a thumbtack in your shoe and step on it every fifteen minutes, or you know, like <laughs> some it can it can get a little dark. But having a nice apple that's you know it keeps the doctor away. That's nice. No, no it's great. And and you know, a lot of uh, clients are superstitious too. I, I had once a client who was obsessed with thirteen. Thirteen was his lucky number. And uh, there was one mm. painting that I was very, very much hoping to get from him. And he, somehow he never was prepared to sell it. And then one day I saw that the auction was going to fall on the 13th of the month. And so I contacted him and said, listen, uh, I have an amazing opportunity. We have the auction on the 13th. And if you give me the painting, we'll make it lot number 13. And that did the trick. He consigned the work. It sold as lot number 13. It sold phenomenally well. And he was very, very happy, and and his superstition came through. Oh, that's that. Yeah, I feel like when that works, it really solidifies it. Like he will never. There's no way he will ever stop with the number thirteen. If it works once that big, <laughs> and 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 because you're a superstitious person, you're able to speak to him in a way that he understands. You're a you're a super whisperer. You know, you guys speak that same language, and that's the little personal touch that you have in a world where it's seemingly like I've got a thirteen million dollar painting. Put it up on Sotheby's. I make a bunch of money, and we're done. But there's all those little personal connections that are are, are yes. interesting to us. I, I think it doesn't apply just to superstition. It's it's. I suffer from the same disease that our uh, clients suffer from, which is when you're a collector, you 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 have to be slightly you know sick to collect, mm-hmm. and and it's once you start collecting, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. And and so when you share the same passion, the same love, uh, that automatically creates a very special bond you guys are drug buddies well it's it's such a i mean obviously now there's like more data than ever but it feels like one of the last great 
things in the world that is driven by gut. You know, like obviously some people are buying because of the market and the and the money and they're flipping and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's gambling too, sports betting. Yeah, but you know what I mean? I feel like it's truly like, I like this. I have a good feeling about it and, and I'm going to go with it versus like, let me look at my spreadsheet and see what's going on. Yes. That, that's what it feels like. Yes. I mean, it's the combination. Uh, it, passion and emotion play a key role. However, obviously, if you're going to spend a lot of money, you don't want to throw that money out of the window. And so of course. there are plenty of very rational cr criteria that you can adapt. And so there's a whole mm. list of boxes you can tick off and before you spend a lot of money on an artwork. So in, in a way, it's combining the rational world with the emotional uh, world. That is interesting. Yeah, it, it makes... You were saying about editing, like, are, are there people who will buy... Like, you, like, the best collectors are the ones where they feel like their art collection is what they put out into the world and people can look at somebody like, I, I want to have sex with that person just because their art collection is so perfect. There's nothing bad in there. It's only all good. And, you know, are there people that are able to kind of combine that, that creative passion with like the business side where they're like, I'm going to buy this ugly piece of shit artwork because in five years I'll sell it. So then I could buy this thing that I really do want. Like, or are there people just like, I, I would never spend money on this artwork because I, I hate it so much? Well, you know, let's say you like an artist very much and you buy that artist in depth. So, so you buy, let's say, five, six, seven works by this artist. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you will have one, two, three works which are top, top, top quality. And then you could possibly start selling the seventh or sixth work, which are the least good work. And with the money that you raise by selling those, you can put that back into buying good ones. <laughs> so you gradually prune your collection and, and make it better and better as you go along. And and that has the advantage of also, you know, making, uh, uh, freeing uh, financial means to to co go on collecting. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the way many collectors do. Now, you always, people say, oh, this is a pure collector or this is a pure speculator. But even the pure collectors, nobody who's right in their mind uh, will tell, will be happy if they spent a lot of money on something and the value has gone down by 80%. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't care how much you like Nobody's it. Nobody's that I don't care how much you like it. You're going to exactly. be okay. Well, yeah. uh, through through your through your your entire history and career of all this, who who do you think is the most pure collector? I, I mean, I've seen extraordinary collectors during my uh, you know, now more than fifty years in in the business, but uh, some of the greatest collectors are, are based in the United States. Uh, the, I mean, one collector that I admire enormously, and I can mention him because he has a part of his collection is open to the public in, in New York, the Neue Galerie in New York, which is uh, Ronald Lauder. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is probably one of the greatest art connoisseurs alive mm -hmm. and who has a perfect eye right across the areas and, and uh, in mm -hmm. any field will be able to spot the best, or the very, very best. And the museum that he has done, which is devoted to earliest 20th century uh, Austrian, German, and, and, and uh, Swiss art, is absolutely outstanding. That's where you have the big Klimt masterwork uh, hanging and a lot of other amazing works. And uh, I have huge admiration for collectors of that caliber. Mm -hmm. But you can be a collector at any income level. You know, there was a, a ticket... Uh, collector on the train between Lausanne and Paris, Lausanne, Switzerland and Paris, and 
he was able, with the money that he made from, you know, just having uh, piercing tickets in the train, uh, <laughs> he built a collection. He was buying prints and, and, and uh, editions by well-known artists and eventually built a formidable collection. So you can collect at any price level. Uh, there's always something mm -hmm. within the price level that you can afford. You can do something in interesting. But what all collectors have in common, no matter if you're a billionaire or now this train uh, ticket collector, you always go to the edge of your possibilities. You you go maybe just slightly beyond yeah. your possibilities. <laughs> yes, yes. Or else you don't feel something. You know, you got to really feel that risk of this could all go away. I, I could be making the worst decision in my life. That's what's exciting about it. Yeah. I love those stories about the ticket. They're, they're, I feel like one of those stories, like you just said about a ticket collector, someone pops up every couple of years where maybe someone dies and they find out, like, I go into this New York apartment. It's full of this folk art from this era that's, like, extremely valuable. The, the collection is perfectly curated. Those are those are heartwarming stories. Those are the best. Um, those are wonderful because stories, and they happen yeah. all over again. I mean, not that they are common and everywhere, but they keep happening, and that's the exciting yeah. and the beauty about the whole thing. It's it's true though that I think it can touch anyone, and I think the financial part of it is, you know, we obviously only hear about the big stuff, you know, and that's like what that's obviously sexier. Um, but I I do think that the that level that you're talking about is, is so interesting, and I think it it you know more people should look at it that way. I w I wanted to talk more about um, non traditional auctioneering. I I think I read that you auctioned an hour in the gym with Madonna. Is that true? Yes, that is true. That was in a charity auction because very often in big charity galas like the uh, Amphar galas in Cannes during the film festival mm -hmm. or uh, I uh, uh, did c conduct auctions for the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation, for the Elton John Foundation, and uh, you know, and a whole range of uh, various uh, charitable foundations. And uh, very often, part of the auction lots are things that money can't buy uh, that you normally couldn't, you know, get to it. And so, uh, sure, sure. one of these auctions, uh, Madonna had generously. Uh, uh, told Leonardo DiCaprio that she was donating one hour in the gym and then people were bidding and bidding and bidding and then uh, the highest bidder got it for one million euros and there was a very disappointed underbidder and so I asked Leonardo DiCaprio and I said, do you think Madonna would agree to donate another hour in the gym <laughs> for the same price? And he said yes, she would. And so <laughs> he, he said, "I didn't, I didn't check with her, but she will. That's right. For a million euros, she'll do it." Wait, the story became better. So, whoops, we had a two million euros that were raised for it, and then a third person came and said, "Can I for three million? I mean, for another million euros have?" Uh -huh. So, in the end, this hour that Madonna very, very generously donated raised three million euros for charity, and that is truly fabulous. And and that is yeah. the kind of a alchemy when uh, people like Madonna, people like some of the most generous megastars who use their celebrity status to transform uh, some of that appeal. Uh, it's like at one auction, I was asked to sell a painting by Piers Brosnan. Now, I love Piers Brosnan. I think he's fabulous actor and i but i was very mm -hmm. surprised i didn't know he was a painter and i said how much <laughs> he isn't 
how much do you want me to get for this painting? It was a portrait that he did of Bob Dylan. And they told me, well, you have to get at least 80,000 euros. And I said, oh, my God, I mean, dream on. And then it sold for $1.4 million. Now, uh, uh, what did help, of course, what did help and make all the difference is that Piers Brosnan was with me on stage. Okay. And then at some stage, at some stage, through the during the bidding, he said, by the way, um, I am very, very happy to invite the winning bidder for lunch. And then once he said that, <laughs> the sky the sky became the limit. So yeah. so when Madonna says an hour in the gym, quote unquote, and Pierce will quote unquote go to lunch with you, that it sex is implied, right, Simone? <laughs> Nothing is implied whatsoever. <laughs> okay, I, I'm just hoping that I'm I'm the they that Madonna spreads those three hours out over the course of a, a few weeks and not because I don't want to be the third one. She's probably gonna be pretty tired by then, right? Yeah, she's not. Yeah, the, the three in a row. I don't know if I'm getting my money's worth. I'm not getting Arms Day with Madonna the way I wanted. That's tough. Well, and and also for a lot of those celebrity auctions where you're donating the profits to different things. Madonna also just got a three million dollar tax break on that, right? I, I have no idea what uh, you know what arrangement she would have with taxes, but I <laughs> genuinely feel that the artists and stars who year after year donate uh, a lot uh, for various charities, uh, one is never stressing enough yeah. the amazing uh, difference they are making. Also, our uh, painters like uh, Damien Hurst or Tracy Emin. Mm -hmm. I, I have personally been involved in literally millions of dollars raised by these two artists alone. Mm -hmm. And one, one cannot lord enough what these artists do uh, for various charities. Oh, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. And I think a lot of that stuff goes, you know, underreported, I, I think, to an extent, you know. Um, yeah, definitely. What? Uh, speaking of kind of the art trends and, and non-traditional, you know, non-painting auctions going on, what, what have been some of your favorite NFTs through the years? Yes. Well, through the years, uh, <laughs> let's say that the whole NFT market did not start that long enough ago. And for most mortals, it started uh -huh. really when one NFT by Beeple sold for $69 million at Christie's. And that then caused this uh -huh. gold rush that uh, erupted and every person uh, in, anywhere wanted to create NFTs. And uh, now this caused a kind of an instant fever. And the, the great thing mm -hmm. is when you have this fever, you know, the, the, the temperature rises very, very fast, but eventually the fever comes down. However, uh, I think NFTs are very much here to stay because I, I see my... You do? Very much so, yes, because my, my youngest daughter, who's 12, she has been during the pandemic spending endless hours with her various girlfriends around the world playing Roblox. And mm -hmm. and then she was asking to be able to clean my shoes and on all sorts of stuff to against pocket money. And that pocket money would go straight into buying clothes for her avatar. Wow. And, and so when you see these kids, you know, putting all their pocket money into clothes for their avatars, there's no question when these kids will be adults and will be able to afford you know, buying some more expensive things that they weren't mm -hmm. twice of buying digital art. The, honestly, that's the best argument for NFTs I've ever heard. Uh, I, I have to say, I have to say that's the best because I, I, 
I don't, you, let me guess though. I, you don't own an NFT personally, do you? I own one NFT personally. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that was donated to me by an artist for my birthday. <laughs> That's very sweet. Well, I, I want to know, so what happens when, you know, you, you run out of shoes that need to be cleaned and we're all trying to buy digital art and outfits for our avatars, but there's no real, like your daughter was doing work in the real world with her hu human body to then get money to then buy stuff in the digital world. What happens when it's all digital? What are, what are some things that people are going to have to do to, to raise this money when we're all kind of just avatars? That's the real question. Yeah, well, listen, um, I'm trying to become an avatar myself. <laughs> I've, we've, I've started a series of online primary market auctions where the artists themselves donate, I mean, consign their works. And I wanted to have an avatar conducting the auctions so that I could go under coconut trees and a beach and, mm -hmm. and rest while my avatar was doing my job. But sadly, despite all this talk about AI, it's still not sufficiently developed, so I have to put on a space suit, and then I have put to a very hurtful helmet on me that films me, and so that my avatar can mimic my gestures. And so, so far, it's very tedious to do that, but eventually, I do hope that the avatar would be able to do the auction all by itself. Okay, so, so like when Dwayne The Rock Johnson is doing a movie, and he has to wear that crazy suit on the green screen, and they record his movements, you're doing that same thing, but for an auctioner. For an auction, exactly. And I uh, have uh, four auctions in, in preparation at the moment, where, where the avatar will be busy selling those things online. Okay. Well, also when Chris was saying that's you did you had the best argument for NFTs that he's ever heard. Also, you're the first person I've ever heard say like I cannot wait until AI takes my job. Yeah. Like, everyone else is <laughs> in fear that AI will take their job. Very, and you're yeah, like, very true. Clock's ticking AI. Hurry up. I'm done. I'm ready to retire. No, but it, it's it's perfect because you see, when you see an online auction, you just see the prices going up gradually, but it's boring just to look at the screen. But if you have the excitement of the voice and you have an avatar gesticulating while you do it, and uh, mm -hmm. it's more fun, it's more entertaining. And after all, when you drive your car, you have the GPS that speaks to you and you say, go left, go right, and take this thing, and you mm -hmm. can choose the voice. Uh, you can have a, a lovely female voice or you can have any type of a voice that will guide I'm sure you. Pierce Brosnan is available as yeah. an option as well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, when, exactly. when you do an online auction, I want you to be able to choose from five, eight auctioneers and you have these little figures, these little avatars, and you choose the one you want That's to do, smart. go. Oh, I like this. Okay, so I get to pick I get to pick my guy. Like I like this guy. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it with you. You can absolutely pick the one you want absolutely that's a, that's a good idea I, I think that i mean that's what we do with with real people and fitness you know you get on the peloton you get to pick which person you like the most <laughs> for the same class it's kind of the same it's kind of the same idea it, it, it's terrific and then the avatars have the great advantage is they don't age you know we, uh, <laughs> i've been doing this job for a little while and uh, i do look a little different from what i did when i started 50 years ago mm -hmm. and uh avatars don't i mean you can add a few wrinkles as you go along but still uh, yeah that's i would look yeah hyper realistic is not the goal with the with the with your avatar never has to go get uh get the suit dry cleaned you never have to shave the list goes do you have on. any like signature moves that you're known for as an auctioneer is there like a catchphrase or maybe like a motion 
that you're known for? I don't know if this is a signature phrase, but I I am very theatrical and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of because you have as many different auctioneering techniques as you have auctioneers, and um, and I always tell young auctioneers that uh, I have trained in my career is be yourself. Don't try to imitate this person or that person. Just be yourself. And the more yourself you are, the more convincing you will come across. Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I find it more entertaining to because I feel yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. the people come just for one item or two items that they want to bid on, and they often sit through a, a lengthy auction. And so since they are going to be there, you want to entertain them. There's no point to no, I agree. bore them to tears. Yeah, we, we, we have the same philosophy, you know, just prioritize entertainment and everything else works out. Um. I mean, I've seen photos of you where you'll come f- out from behind the podium and kind of go into the front of the crowd and, you know, like you're uh, a singer performing a concert. Have you ever stood on top of the podium? Well, no. Once I did a, an auction in uh, Switzerland, which was curated by an artist, uh, Ricky Tiravanija, and he curated the whole thing mm. and he wanted me to fly in over the uh, audience and so I, I was they like pink at me on a string and then suddenly the curtain opened and I flew in above uh, all the people seated at the tables and mm-hmm. I started the auction from above and, and that was maybe the most uh, extreme uh, that position is extreme. from which I ever conducted. <laughs> yeah, auction. that's very extreme. I, I like that you're you're willing to do it all. You know, you gotta you gotta do you gotta do what's 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 needed. That's that is that's dangerous. And did that auction go? Do you think that added? It lowered the overall price of each piece. I'm sure. Like, do you think it increased? Do you think people bid more because of your entrance it clearly added and in fact i was so disappointed at the next auction that i was not supposed to fly in that i was just supposed to walk to the podium i think my god is that oh he's just gonna stand here oh, okay all right so this is all you guys got you can't we don't have a four-wheeler or anything this is okay i guess i'll take uh, it oh, can we talk i want to talk about cameo appearances film television have people played mm. characters based on you and not given you credit have you appeared in films what, what's going on uh, yes I, I have appeared in in, in some films or TV series, you, uh, I, I, I did uh, an appearance in uh, Emily in Paris, which I loved doing. Uh, and in it, 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 in the first season, it was an auction with the American Friends of the Louvre. And I had never done an auction for the American Friends of the Louvre, but then after they saw that in the Emily in Paris, the real American Friends of the Louvre contacted me. <laughs> And asked me if I would do their auction. So it was. Oh, that's great! Life, yeah, we love we love when life imitating art as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, that's well. That's I, I would have been a little more uh, cynical, saying like I've been I've been doing this for fifty years, and then this fucking Netflix show. I do one episode, <laughs> and now I got the job. <laughs> where were you, where were you guys for the last fifty years? I've been here. Well, what you say is so true because I tell you for these. 15 nanoseconds that I was in that episode, I, I got more reactions to anything I ever did in my lengthy career of more than 50 years. And now every time they've asked me, I mean, I've done a few other appearances in some movies and all that, each time they just asked me to conduct an auction and then I 
said, listen, is there a way you could slightly flesh out my hole, maybe build in a loft <laughs> room or something? But no, 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 I, I have to stick to You're my like, home. slow down, slow down, slow down. <laughs> I'll do the auction, but I was also hoping for maybe a little love story, a, a small C plot, you know, I, I don't know. I took the liberty of rewriting the script last night. There's a few changes. My character, I don't know, maybe we'll spread them out a little bit more. I have some notes. I, I just have a few things I want to talk about before we kind of get into it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think maybe you should look into that. Maybe you're, maybe, you know, later in life, you become a, a character actor. Do you feel called to, to act? Listen, uh, I do find uh, cinema as the ultimate art form because I always find that it brings all forms of art together. You know, you have the, the visual mm. part, the liter literary part, the musical part, and, mm -hmm. and yet it's a team effort. And it only works if everybody in the team is, you know, pulling their weight. And that's yeah. what I love about it. And and. Cinema is the only thing. If you see a movie in, in the cinema for two hours, you forget about your own self. You forget about your own body. You're completely immersed. Mm -hmm. And when the movie is over, it takes you 10, 15 minutes to readjust to real life. Whereas when you look at a painting or when you listen to a piece of music or when you read a book, you're still linked to yourself, linked yeah. to your body. You're not... So I think that cinema, when it's truly great, manages to really transport you to a different level. It makes you forget about your terrible life. Have you have you ever used drugs to for to achieve that same <laughs> that same feeling? No, listen, I I my uh, I'm a very boring guy in that respect. But I was invited to Jamaica at a, at a close friend of mine, and I love desserts. And they had a fantastic chef. I think we see where the story is going, but please continue. <laughs> you, you, you see exactly where the story is going because this chef was outstanding, but he was never doing any desserts. Then on the third or fourth day of my stay there, Bebel Gilberto, this fabulous mm. uh, Brazilian musician, of course. Uh, came for dinner and she brought a cake. And so I said, finally, finally dessert. And then I devoured that cake all by myself, nearly, and not realizing that it was a slightly loaded cake. And my God, I mean, I, before the cake was finished, I started to take off big, big time, but it actually for two and a half days. And the next day, I was in such bad shape. The next day, I suddenly remembered that I had a deadline to write an article, uh, a monthly column on the art market. And I was always sending it to this uh, newspaper, Swiss newspapers. They were never uh, commenting on what I was sending them. And so the next day, I managed more or less, while I was still flying high, writing that article and sending it to them and they immediately wrote back by god this is by far the best thing you have ever written. So, no way so much for my experience in that field huh well i mean look i i, I guess the res the results were good so it's you know overall i uh, well has that have you ever considered maybe using marijuana in a more controlled environment to stimulate your creativity when you're writing you know, um, God knows, you know, I, I feel every, anything is possible. And so okay. I'm not ruling anything out. Okay, Smart. that's good. Good attitude. All we can ask for, Simone. All we can ask for. Jason likes to expand his mind while writing and editing this podcast. Um, so just, just so you understand. No, I mean, I've found some, some I, don't, I've, I don't write very much at all, but every time I've written something on, like I wrote something on while I was on Mushrooms one time, and that was probably the the most well received thing I've ever written on on the internet. But obviously, make sure you edit it when you are 
of sober mind <laughs> yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is sort of the key. Yes. Don't just write it on mushrooms and then hit publish. Yeah. Uh, you'll have yeah, some. Yeah, your, your editor will have some feedback um, in most cases. All right, Simone. Well, um, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It was it was, a, it was a fun treat. I hope you had fun. Did you have any questions for us before yeah, we leave? it was a pleasure. Um, not really. I mean, I must say it was a pleasure to speak to you both. And uh, we said at the beginning, you know, that... Uh, routine is boring and I think it was a very entertaining way from my perspective at least to, to spend this uh, talk with you we feel the same good perfect we love it thank you thank you so much au revoir we'll see you soon